It is the Lockdown Bengals Podcast with your hosts, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. Hello, Bengals fans, and welcome to the weekend edition of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. You know what it means when we hit the weekend. We take your questions, you write the show for us, and we have a lot of questions this week, Joe. Before we get to them, there was a little bit of news that happened after we submitted this podcast and finished recording it, and that is that Lou Anarumo has been officially hired as the Bengals defensive coordinator. We will get into that in more depth uh, Monday. And we apologize for not having any further words on that. Uh, We talked about it yesterday on the podcast, kind of what he might bring, where his coaching tree comes from, his connections to Cincinnati. So if you have questions, check that out. But Joe, we're just going to jump right into questions here. The first one comes from John at underscore John underscore Harden underscore. And he asks, is there a QB from the previous six drafts besides first year starters that would be an upgrade over Andy Dalton? He argues that only Carson Wentz is better, maybe, and that Patrick Mahomes doesn't count because he was a first-year starter. So he's trying to make this hard on us by saying we can't pick Mahomes because that would be an obvious choice for, what, 29 teams in the NFL at least? Uh, So we'll go back and you look, and we're talking about any one of the last six drafts. Didn't have to be a first-rounder or a second-rounder. He didn't say that. So there's there's a couple guys like um, Dak Prescott, fourth-round pick, that – I, I think is in the Andy Dalton range and potentially could be a little bit better just because of his athleticism. And when the Cowboys let him take over the games, I, I think he's much better player, but uh, Mitch Trubisky, I think had a really good year too. And if he's playing like that already in year two, you have to assume the upside is there. I think obviously Carson Wentz, Jared Goff is a similar talent. I believe to Andy Dalton with maybe a little bit more anticipation and touch and accuracy. And I think that's obviously valuable. And the guy that, to me, that is the, is the obvious answer is Deshaun Watson. You may lose some things, routine things, that Andy Dalton gives you that Watson does not, that I think he's still developing in. But the arm strength, deep accuracy, ability to go off script and create plays, and he can move around a little bit, is definitely worth it. And and, and through the last uh, last year, and you know after his first year, he had a 103 quarterback rating last year. I, it, that would be Andy Dalton's best year. So it's... I think Deshaun Watson is the easy answer here. Deshaun Watson is indeed the easy answer. You also mentioned Carson Wentz, Jared Goff, a few others. Uh, Some others that we'll just throw in there, maybe Marcus Mariota as well. He's definitely in the ballpark. He has a higher upside, I think. And Jimmy Garoppolo, who we don't necessarily know a ton about yet, but that's another guy that is probably, he's, he's paid a lot more, but is probably better than Dalton. And there's a lot of guys that are in Dalton's range. So, you know, it's, you may be splitting hairs with a few of these guys like Dak Prescott and Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota, but uh, statistically they are right neck and neck with Andy Dalton. And, uh, and just real quick before we get to the next question, the way you phrased this question was very clever because you cut out seven years ago, which is a good QB class and includes Russell Wilson, Andrew Luck, Kirk Cousins, and you could even argue for Nick Foles and some Bengals fans have. Yeah, indeed. Our next question stays on the quarterbacks. It's from Logie, Logie513 on Twitter asks, what scenario 
sees Andy Dalton get a third contract from the Bengals. And Joe and I are sitting here scratching our heads about this one. Like, if he plays really well, he balls out. He's going to be worth a lot of money. Are the Bengals going to be able to pay, you know, $30 million to a quarterback, whatever it is? On the other hand, if he's really bad, obviously, you know, they're not going to bring him back. If he stays the same player, they're probably not going to bring him back because they're looking for that next step. Unless, unless the current coaching staff gets comfortable with him the way that Marvin Lewis did. So that's one scenario, actually, is that Zach Taylor gets really comfortable with a guy like Dalton who's good enough pre-snap to make it work. The other scenario is they win a Super Bowl, and the team's like, you know what, you want us a Super Bowl, we're giving you a Joe Flacco contract. Yeah, and that's not wrong. You know, if you win, I mean, that's the ultimate goal for all of us. If the Bengals win a Super Bowl, fine, give them a five-year deal afterwards. We'll worry about it as we go, but it... We've seen that tanker team if you sign a average starter that has won a Super Bowl for you, uh, the way the Ravens have struggled to overcome that Joe Flacco contract since that point. Uh, but I wouldn't care. Give me the one ring. Wouldn't a ring be so nice? Moving on, a couple questions about free agency kind of stuff, some hypotheticals. Uh, the first one from Austin, at StuartAustin14 on Twitter. He asks, if you could sign any three players in free agency, which three would they be? And I'm going to take this on a more realistic approach and think of three players that I could see the Bengals being interested in and that also would fill a a neat spot. And I'd go with Juwan James at right tackle. I'd go with uh, Quan Alexander at linebacker. And I'd also say, let me get Teddy Bridgewater because I think the chances of them landing a quarterback at 11, I don't think they'll be aggressive enough to move up. Bridgewater is still young. I still think there's some upside there. You're not going to have to pay him a crazy amount of money because he hasn't played well or even enough in the last two years. Three years now? Geez, two and a half years. But um, point being, I'd like to get a developmental guy that could push Andy Dalton a little bit. Even if it, even if they viewed Bridgewater as a bridge quarterback and traded Dalton, I think that could work also. So your three are, are Bridgewater, James. Quan Alexander. Yep. Quan Alexander. Okay. Uh, I'll try to stick realistic too, since you did. And my linebacker is going to be KJ Wright. And we've gone back and forth on KJ Wright, Quan Alexander for a while. I just think KJ Wright is is better. And I think Quan Alexander, while younger and more promising, I'm just picking something different here. I think Quan Alexander has some risk to him. He never has been as productive as KJ Wright. So I'm taking KJ Wright. Maybe there's a little veteran leadership there too. Um, an offensive tackle, I'm, I'm rolling the dice on Daryl Williams and his knee. I think he is a better player if he can stay healthy. And then for the last one, uh, how about uh, what Bryce Callahan from Chicago? Let's say Denard walks and, and somehow the Bengals get a deal on Bryce Callahan. I think he's a better slot corner. And then you have your slot corner shirt up. He's a young guy too. That's the second contract for him. So you have your slot corner shirt up. Yeah, that's interesting. I, those are fine with me also. I, we just went with different players at linebacker and tackle. But if they did either of those scenarios, I think that, that would be an aggressive approach to free agency. And that's that's worth emphasizing. Both of them are more aggressive than we would necessarily expect the Bengals to be. Right. All right, next question is from Nicholas at Bramlin or Bram in. What is that? Is that an I? It looks like it. He asks, pick one player from each divisional team for the Bengals. I think it's Bramall N, but uh, neither here nor there. The Browns was a hard one for me, and then you, you talked me into Baker before we started recording because I really want Miles Garrett too. And and even Denzel Ward. Like the Browns have some good young players that are real cornerstone types. Denzel Ward, Miles Garrett, uh and and 
and obviously Baker, but it's got to be Baker Mayfield. That you know, you solve your quarterback, right? And he's he's the guy right now in the AFC North. The Steelers and the Ravens um, aren't great when you look at their roster for for guys, especially in positions of Bengals need. So from the Steelers, I want David DeCastro. And from the Ravens, I'm probably just taking Marlon Humphrey or maybe Eric Weddle. I'm probably taking Eric Weddle, and that gives us flexibility at the safety position and gives you a really good player while Eric Weddle still plays in the NFL. Yeah, you picked all the guys I probably would lean on too. I mean, getting a David DeCastro from the Steelers would be plug-and-play, all-pro type at right guard that would change your run game. He'd be so good with mixing, man. It'd be like Le'Veon Bell following him on those pull blocks again. Uh, I love the Marlon Humphrey pick. I think in terms of young, you know, really budding superstars, Humphrey's up there, and you had him with William Jackson, and you're going to shut a lot of people down. So I've got no problem with that pick at all. Uh, and then Baker Mayfield. Some people are going to listen to this and go, roll their eyes, and, oh, he's a one-year starter rookie. Listen, he's showed more talent than any quarterback in this division as, since Big Ben in his prime eight years ago at least. He and, he, he looks like a future star, and you're going to take that. he had a record-setting rookie season in, in a did. lot of ways, right? Yes, he did. And, you know, even beyond the, the stats, the first overall pick, the – the moxie and attitude he brings, which would be welcomed in Cincinnati, I think, for in terms of what we're watching lately with the, with this roster and this team, uh, yes, you would take it, hundred percent. Don't don't think too hard. Don't don't worry about him wearing a Browns helmet, but he uh, he would be the guy for you. But you know what? If it was pick any three divisional players, and I didn't have to take one from each team, I would take three from the Browns, and it would be Garrett Ward Baker. And you'd be just fine doing that. Yeah, and they've got some good interior offensive linemen, too, so that's not crazy either. Next question here is from at Michael J. Foxy on Twitter. And he asks us essentially to power rank the AFC North pre-free agency. Who is a favorite in the AFC North, assuming no Le'Veon Bell and no Antonio Brown in Pittsburgh? I think we kind of just alluded to it in the last question. I think we're really high on the Browns, and it sh- you should be. Uh, looking at the Steelers, losing Brown and Bell, while they've drafted receivers lately, they should be able to survive Bell with John Connor. But I think they lost a little bit of a weapon when they did go to Connor. I think with Brown, they're obviously going to lose a weapon. I don't think Juju Smith-Schuster out of the slot is going to be as dominant uh, when he doesn't have that outside guy that's commanding attention. So... They'll probably invest in wide receiver at some point again this year after drafting one last year, James Washington, I believe. Um, The Ravens, when you go over their roster, you don't feel great about them. Sure, they have a good defense still, but they've got some pieces that are free agents also. I still don't think they're a great edge-rushing team. They they really beat you with scheme and and mixing it up and and interior pressure with through different looks. Uh, But offensive-wise, if Lamar Jackson doesn't take another step as a passer, I think they're going to struggle next year. If he does, then they could be really good again. So... I think the Browns, though, are set up for success, not just short-term but long-term because of the quarterback and because they've added so many draft picks over the last, what, three, four years. And, again, they're in position to to get a premium player. I think they have the 17th pick. Um, the Browns are in, in good shape. Yeah, it's not something that Bengals fans want to hear. Somebody else asked, and we're not going to get to this question, is is the Browns going to be the rivalry for the Bengals going forward that we start to hate the Browns the way we hate the Steelers? But... Uh, yeah, I think the Steelers have to be the second in line behind the Browns. I, I, it's hard to see 
I mean, maybe the Steelers still win the division, right? Just because of Roethlisberger. Maybe they, maybe, maybe Antonio Brown doesn't leave, but if we're assuming he's not there, you know, maybe they find the veteran or somebody in the draft to help there. And but right, remember, we viewed the Steelers as our rival, but I don't think the Steelers ever viewed the Bengals as their rival. They, right. I think they looked at the Ravens, and I could see the Ravens and the Browns getting uh, their own rivalry because the Ravens drafted a first-round quarterback. And we saw Week 17, how, how that game played out to get the Ravens into the playoffs. I think those two teams are going to be the rivalry. Yeah. Um, Just to finish this question up, it, it, I agree that it's it's – Cleveland's time to to take the division for the first time in since what 1999 Derek Anderson um or was that a wild card that wasn't that long ago Derek no you're thinking of um Kelly Holcomb when was Derek Anderson 2003 had to be after that Derek Anderson was after um had to be like 2009 2008 had to be way after that all right it was a decade off you're right It, it definitely had to be after that um yeah, I think it's the Browns' time to take the division again. The Steelers still could do it, and if Lamar Jackson takes a step, they could too. And for the Bengals, it's hard to envision uh, winning the division championship in 2019, I think, unless, you know, it, it, you can't predict the NFL. It's a crazy league year to year, so anything could happen. But, you know, Everything. if I was doing it based on the current rosters, it would, the Bengals would need to stay very healthy and have very good coaching to overcome what's stacked against them right now in the AFC North. Yeah, all the chips would have to fall for the Bengals in, in order to turn this around in one year. Next question we have is from Taylor at TKC11. He asks, will Zach Taylor keep his foot on the gas in situations where Marvin Lewis was more conservative? Yeah, Joe and I just looked at the stats for this, and it's hard to find hard data points to back this up. But what you can see is that L.A. was the second highest scoring team in the NFL in 2018, and they also had a pretty solid defense. They were second, I think, in point differential, too. So, you know, they're scoring just a little bit less than the Chiefs. Their defense is doing better, which means they're keeping on keeping their foot on the gas. And and we looked at just a couple games that like they were winning by ten plus points in the fourth quarter. They're still passing the ball. They're still they're still trying to make sure that you know the game isn't going to get close down the line. But if you look at just fourth downs, if you want to look at just like if you're looking for stats, how many times did they go for it on fourth down? They went for it on fourth down less than the Bengals in 2018. But that's because they didn't need to as much. They had the what was it most first downs in the league. They ran a ton of plays. So when you look at kind of on a per rate basis, you know, they didn't go for it on fourth because they didn't need to, but they went, you know, when they did need to, they did go for it and they, and they did keep trying to score points late in games. And it, it's important to note that they were a heavy running team in LA. So um, even in situations where they were down or had a small lead, they were running the ball and trying to convert that way. And also, Marvin Lewis was one of the most conservative coaches in the NFL, and I've looked at his numbers from your own 45 going in. That's the range where you should be deciding either to go for it on fourth down, kick the field goal, or punt the ball. And Marvin Lewis was one of the most conservative coaches in the league in uh, in his 16 years. So you could really roll the dice and end up with a coach that's going to be more conservative just based on chance. So I would assume that's going to be the case, but I guess we're going to have to find out. Next question. We're actually going to group a couple together here, wrap up some coaching questions, and then we're going to take a quick break. 
The first one comes from Jeremy at Jay Harrell. He asks, what assistant coach hire has you excited the most and could have the biggest impact behind the scenes? And as a follow-up, uh, Zach at ZCE22 on Twitter asks the other side of this, what are the biggest concerns right now? Well, I'll answer the concerns first is that the defense coordinator is not still here. Obviously, that's the biggest concern for everybody because then you have to get position coaches in and we're late in the process and it's going to be harder to find those guys. It's going to be harder to find quality uh, uh, positional coaches and we're a week away from the combine. Not only do you have to evaluate the veterans on the roster, you need to turn your attention towards the draft in a very short time. In terms of who gets me excited the most, honestly, it's not a great option. Zach Taylor would be my choice, but this is the question was assistance. Uh, I would say out of those guys, it, Brian Callahan, only because he talked about using analytics and being smart that way. And also, you know, hearing that he comes from a Shanahan background and likes to run the zone blocking scheme, which is going to help Joe mixing out a lot. Then it's perfect fit there. I just, I wish there was a, assistant coach or or a coordinator that was brought on that was a bigger name or had more success in the league in that role that would make us feel all uh, more comfortable with it yeah there hasn't been a hire you could point to and be like yep he hit it out of the park on that one and he tried he swung for the fences on Dennis Allen trying to get him to come up here from come up to Cincinnati from from New Orleans and it didn't quite work out so I agree. I think the one that has me most excited is Callahan because of the way that he talked about using all the tools available to him and modernizing in terms of the way that he wants to coach and run the offense. That being said, I actually have some concerns about the kind of culture Zach Taylor says he's creating in Cincinnati when he's bringing in guys like Jim Turner and guys he's familiar with in Brian Callahan and Joe Anarumo. So when he said culture and bringing in the right guys, I didn't think they would necessarily just mean his guys. And and that's what it's turned into. So until they prove to me that they can create the kind of culture that I imagined he was talking about, I'm going to be a little bit skeptical there, especially when you see some of the reports we've seen recently that are probably about Jim Turner, uh, you know, yelling at his underclassmen for declaring to go pro. And then he leaves a program that same year. Yeah, it's not a good look, and it continues to not be a good look, especially with the Jim Turner part. And it's funny because when we were looking up stats on the last question about the the Rams offense versus the Bengals offense, and we saw the Bengals were eighth in the league in yards per carry at 4.7, I believe. Uh, you know, we both were kind of like, wow, interesting. You know, that Frank Pollock zone scheme really got a lot out of uh, that, that running game last year, and it just soured our taste a little bit more on Jim Turner. But we've got more questions coming up after the break. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Lockdown Bengals podcast. I haven't reminded you yet today, so I'll remind you now. Remember, when you get in your car, you can tell your smart device, listen to podcasts, Lockdown Bengals, and it'll just pull it, pull it right up for you and stream that right to your Bluetooth speakers, assuming you have that all set up and you have that sort of fancy technology going. It's just an easy way to listen to the podcast, so I recommend you check it out. Uh, but jumping right back into our questions here, we have a really nice comment from at George Johnson 69 on Twitter. He says, we all appreciate you taking your free time to make this podcast for us to listen to in our free time. You mentioned having day jobs. What do you guys do? Well, for me, obviously, without doing the without mentioning the podcast and then writing for the athletic in my free time, I work in a chemical plant, a local plant that produces chemicals and <laughs> it's not much more exciting than that i'm an operator 
and I work uh, swing shifts, so midnights and days. So that's why sometimes I'm more active, and some days I'm not at all. And uh, while Joe brings the blue collar down to earthness to the podcast, I'm a white collar guy myself. I have a background in healthcare software implementation, which I don't expect any of you to care about or understand necessarily. And uh, I recently moved to Canada and I'm still looking for a full-time job here. I did work uh, to help them administer an election recently, but at this moment, looking for work. Next question we got. Yeah, that gets a little awkward, eh? Uh, Next question, and I threw that (sighs) Canadian A in just for all you American listeners. I'm still American too. Who am I kidding? Next question comes from Travis, at Travis McCoy on Twitter. How much do production analytics influence the way each of you approach evaluating draft prospects? Joe seems like a tape grinder, so how does he weigh traits against analytics? That's a good question. And the further I go into this, the more I use analytics and... There's different analytics, and we've touched on this in previous podcasts, whether that's production analytics and then testing analytics. And for me, both are important. Both have a role. I do rely on the tape. Uh, I like to, when I watch a player, I will watch the tape completely before I even look at their listed size and weight. I'll, I'll watch it before I know how many years he played, before I know you know what his production looked like. Oh, he only had five sacks versus you know 10 tackles for a loss, whatever. It doesn't matter to me. I need to see the tape first because I'm, I'm basically my process is to write down as many common traits or common flashes that happen positively and negatively. So how often is he winning with this move? How often is it, does he look unbalanced? How often is length an issue? Whatever it may be for this player. And then when the analytics come out in terms of production analytics, I'll say, okay, which players graded well, which players graded poor in, the, in that. And then the poor ones, you can almost put a red flag on the players, even if you like them or not on tape put a, a, a red flag on them of some sort so that you are reminded that their production now carries some risk going into the draft. And then it comes with testing analytics afterwards. And the better you test, the better off you're going to be in the NFL. Uh, I mean, history is is completely for that. So if, if a guy that you really like on tape, maybe he has really good production and then he doesn't test well, then you put a, a different red flag on them. So some guys end up with two red flags. You really like their tape, but the production and the, the testing isn't there. Those are guys that are going to be very risky for you to like in the first or second round. Meanwhile, you may not love a guy's tape. And this is like Antonio Brown was like this. There's a lot of people that he no one talked about him. It's why he went in the sixth round. His tape wasn't great, even if you go back and watch it now. And his testing was absolutely poor. His production was solid. So you end up with two red flags on him, and he still ends up being a productive player. So it's not an end-all, be-all. But what it does is help you assess risk for each individual player. So there's three main you know, attributes you want is the tape production and the testing. And if you got all three, that guy's probably going to go top 15. If he's missing one or two, that's when they start to slide a little bit on the board. And I wonder how much NFL teams use like the market share stuff that James Coburn does that I really like. If you guys don't know it, check out James Coburn on Twitter. He does some really interesting stuff with uh, production analytics and how those have translated historically to different tiers of NFL productivity. Joe, do you have any idea if NFL teams are using that kind of stuff at all? Oh, I think they are. I think yeah. definitely they're using as much information as possible. Uh, it's funny because yesterday we talked a little bit about this. I think it was yesterday. And saying how the Bengals weren't really sure they knew how to use the analytics or how to apply it. So I think every team gets this information but doesn't know what to do with it. And yeah. 
that could be me speaking, you know, and I could be completely wrong on that. But obviously, when you see as many mistakes as NFL teams make in the draft, there's definitely room for improvement. Well, they make mistakes, I think, because they're still outliers both ways. And and I'll just answer the question for myself real quick. And I, I haven't been a film grinder, as you say, in, in a few years now. I did it more when I was working for Pro Football Focus and in proximity to that. And since then, I haven't been as much in the analytics part of football. I'm more of a, you know, I have my trusted sources like Joe in the world. I can I can rely on their scouting reports that they've got. And then I can look at the other available data and say, okay, so here's what the tape says. And then like Joe does, you, you weigh it against the analytics and you see if there are red flags there. And there are outliers. There are always outliers. And that's where it gets really complicated for NFL teams and for you know, quote unquote, draft Twitter. Um, you can't rely on just your eyes. You can't rely on just the numbers. It, it needs to be both. And and like Joe said, you know, it just changes the risk because you're never going to know. You know, you have yeah. Orlando Brown, Orlando Brown falling to the fourth yeah. round because he couldn't bench press. And he, to... his athletic testing was horrific. Also, yeah. So, you know, th- there's there's always going to be, and he and he was still a fine player. And then that, that's going to be one case where, and we'll see what happens in year two, but in year one, he was an above average right tackle in the NFL. And so you'll see, you know, guys like that where we'll have to see how his career plays out, but maybe he, you know, the tape was right on him. And so there's going to be arguments both ways on that. Exactly. That's the hard part is we will always look at the outliers and say, well, you guys shouldn't care about that because look, this guy succeeded. And you're going to be right. But if you take in all the guys that test the way Orlando Brown tests, there may be one or two out of 10,000 that make it and have productive high-level NFL careers. There may be a lot of backups in that group. But the point is, your percentages of hitting on that, you're betting against history. When you when you know from the, from the jump you're taking an outlier, especially with a premium pick. See, once you get in the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round, I'm fine taking that because the tape looks good and you can lean on that. And it's worth the bet on an outlier. And the interesting for, interesting thing for me is when you're going into this process and you already know a guy is probably going to be an outlier. And I think of Kyler Murray this year from a, from a, uh, a size standpoint, obviously already an outlier. He's going to be someone who's never played the position at this size before. And then production wise, one year of extreme production. I mean, if you his production analytics are going to be off the charts. But it's only one year, so it makes him an outlier in, in that way. You're really going to have to rely on the tape and be sure of what you're drafting because you're going to make a risky pick. And that's, you know, for a lot of people, that's going to scare scare you away. But the tape is really, really good. And that one year of production is really, really good. It's going to be a interesting case of which teams are strictly like, okay, I'm going to lean on the tape, or which teams are, are taking in all the information, using it accordingly, and trying to make a sound decision. Yeah, the Kyler Murray question is fascinating i'm absolutely i'm I'm just so excited to see how his career plays out if he if he ends up playing football which i think at this point we expect yeah all right we got next question here and it is from sam anger is that right sam underscore anger i'm sorry sam because we talk all the time on twitter and now i feel bad that i've never pronounced your last name but he asks hey guys hope you're well hypothetical question what would you rather us do take devin white at 11 or potentially trade down, accumulate extra picks, and take Devin Bush. And for that, we get an extra second this year and an extra second next year. So hes I think he's saying we really trade down far. And you get a couple of second-round picks, that would be like the trade we had on Mock Draft Monday where you're going back to um, 28 and or in that range. 
I think would be fair value there. Uh, what do you think, Jake? Yeah, I kind of think that this is a home run trade for the Bengals. If you still, you're telling me I definitely get Devin Bush and I get an extra second round pick this year and next year. I think I think I'm I'm definitely taking that trade. Uh, there's enough depth in the second round of this draft where adding a second pick there makes up for the fall off from Devin White to Devin Bush. And this also assumes, I think, for me that the premier tackle targets for me are gone. Because I, I think if Jonah Williams is there, I want Jonah Williams and I'm not trading back. But if this is a scenario, if it's Devin White versus Devin Bush plus second rounder plus second rounder, I'm taking Bush plus two second rounders. The only point I don't like about this is that it has to be Devin Bush and a trade back. While I like Devin Bush a lot, really, uh, I think the value in a trade back would be an, an offensive tackle. Because I think there's four or five guys that can go in the top 40 that would be primed to pick. If you're talking about Dalton Reisner's there at 23, and that's a, say that's where the Bengals trade back, give me Dalton Reisner. If it's Greg Little is still there at 26, 27, man, I think those are good offensive tackle picks. and It's a strong offensive tackle class at the top. If we see four or five guys go in that range, uh, it's because you know it's a really good class and, and some of these good players that – who was it last year from from UCLA? Now I'm forgetting his name. Went to the Raiders in the first round, but uh, I mean, terrible tape wise. Colt he, Miller. Yes, his production. I mean, his his uh, testing was great, but tape wise, he was he'd be behind all of these guys in the same draft, and that guy went top ten. So I think these guys are going to get pushed down. The value would be to take a tackle there, but if they do take Devin Bush, you got a middle linebacker that's a starter that I think is a good player, and you got an extra second rounder to go with it. So hopefully, a tackle is still there. Maybe you take a guard in the second round. But you, if you have two picks now in the second round, I hope one of them would be for the offensive line. Leave it to Joe to think outside of the box on that question. Yeah, and then the other part, too, is the extra second next year because I want as many picks as possible to move up for a quarterback if we're in that scenario. Oh, yeah, next year? And that's right. a question we got. Uh, we'll get to that one. Uh, okay. Next question. Got, yeah, it's from Nick at Tweet Jenkins. He asks, Jawan James, who is the tackle from Miami free agent, and Devin White – or free agent Jordan Hicks and Juwan Taylor. Yeah. So for me, this is a little bit apples and oranges because Devin White is clearly the best prospect at his position. And I think Juwan Taylor is not clearly the best prospect at offensive tackle for me. And I think that there are some injury questions with Jordan Hicks that make me a little bit tentative to take that side of the deal. If it's, you know, I talk about KJ Wright a lot because KJ Wright is my free agent targeted linebacker. If that second pairing is KJ Wright and Jonah Williams, I'm all over it. Mm-hmm. But because of the injury risk and because I don't think Jawan Taylor is the necessarily top player at tackle in the draft, I'll take the free agent tackle, assuming that he is a second tier free agent and I'm not paying $12 million a year for a, you know, average ish right tackle and I'll take the blue chipper at a position of need that could be really special in Devin White see and I think that's why this is a great question from Nick because it's not giving you the best of both world scenarios in my opinion I think these are just attainable honest you know could this could actually happen and for me when I look at it then I say okay well then I'm gonna look at the value because signing a free agent right tackle can be extremely expensive and if we're talking about signing a Juwan James or Daryl Williams any of those guys it could cost you 10 12 million dollars plus a load of guaranteed money and then spending a top 12 pick on an off the ball linebacker 
Devin White better to turn into Luke Keekley. And if he's not, well, you have wasted a lot of value with the first option of Juwan James and Devin White. For me, I think you get more value, but there's risk in Jordan Hicks, signing Jordan Hicks as a, as a free agent because of his injury history. Maybe he doesn't get as much money, but he is an athlete and he is good in coverage. So there is risk there, obviously, because you could get nothing because he conti- could continue to be on the sidelines. And then Juwan Taylor at 11, I think he could end up going higher in this draft, so I don't have a problem. He could be the first tackle taken off the board as teams view Jonah Williams as a guard. And if that's the case, uh, that's a plug-and-play right tackle, and your team gets nastier and stronger up front, and I'm not against that at all. So for me, the, the more of the risk would be placed on Jordan Hicks, but with the other option, it would be a waste of premium, not only money, but draft resources. Yeah, and I think that kind of comes down to how much is Jawan Taylor going to cost? How much is Jordan Hicks going to cost? Because in your scenario, Jordan Hicks is cheap and Jawan Taylor is still bringing in premier tackle money. And in my mind, I'm doing I'm doing package A if Jawan Taylor is taking second-tier tackle money and Jordan Hicks maybe doesn't have as much of a pay cut as you might think. So different sides of the coin there. I, I wouldn't be I wouldn't argue with you, obviously. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna stand on a soapbox and yell at the top of my lungs, but that that's kind of the two sides of the coin there either way we end up with a juan at right tackle and i think that's uh you know oh that's okay (laughs) i think at this point we would take that i think so too it's my turn right yep next question comes from alex at cvj alex underscore lax on twitter he asks what players do you not want to see fall to the steelers in the draft and he mentions devin white and tj hawkinson as potential guys that could be the bane of the Bengals' existences if they fall that far. You know, we had mock draft Monday, and the Steelers tried to trade up for us, and we, of course, hung up the phone right away. But then they stayed at 20, and who'd they get? They got Ed Oliver, and I almost shit myself just looking at that because that is scary, really scary. And I'm writing about Ed Oliver now for The Athletic, but uh, I would not want that to happen. I wouldn't want any of these blue-chip guys. You list White and Hawkinson right there, Devin White and, and TJ Hawkinson. Yeah, I don't want that sounds horrific. I don't want them to get either of those guys. I want them to make a bad pick every time. And like Artie Burns, when they took Artie Burns, I was, yes. You know, you know what's funny though? When they took and Le'Veon Bud Bell. Dupree. Yeah, Bud Dupree. I wasn't high on him either. When they took Le'Veon Bell, I laughed. Because when you go back and watch Michigan State, Le'Veon Bell, he was overweight, very power type guy. Didn't uh, He had good hands, but he wasn't like the, the route runner receiver that he is now. And so when they took him and the Bengals took Giovanni Bernard, the same draft was it? And I thought... Uh, yes, I can't believe they took Le'Veon Bell. I was so excited, and then they made me eat that crow later. I think that's everybody. Uh, yeah, I, I don't want to see any of the guys that could be drafted in the top 10 fall to Pittsburgh either, and TJ Hawkinson, Devin White, Ed Oliver all fall into that bucket. And I've seen mock drafts that have Devin White going to the Steelers actually quite a bit. A lot of, a lot of mock drafts around the NFL uh, in the last week or so have – Devin White falling, I think because we talked about the positional value of an off-the-ball linebacker. And Devin White, you know, he he comes in and he's a Ryan Shazier again in that defense. He's he's flying around, making plays off the ball. Uh, who's who's the receiver? DK Metcalf? Right. I don't think I want to see him go to the Steelers in the case that he turns out to be Calvin Johnson. So if I, I don't know how that really happens. It seems like he's going to test well and he's going to go top 10, top 15, but you never know. And and that's kind of where we are is there's a lot of guys that might fall that far. And Kyler what Murray, are, you know, uh, yeah, if he, I was if he just has a fall, say this. Like, <laughs> yeah, like a, any of the quarterbacks, uh, you know, I, let them see if they've got it in, uh, 
what's his name? Oklahoma State guy. Z- uh, Rudolph. Mason Rudolph. Mason I Rudolph. Just, I don't want them to have a first-round pick, so how can we do that? Yeah, maybe they're, this is, maybe they're this cheating. Is a, this isn't fair. I mean, yeah, let, let them draft another, like, let them overdraft another corner or safety that should be drafted in the third uh, round. You're right. I didn't even forget about that. Their last two picks last year was uh, was uh, Edmonds, the other one, not Tremaine Edmonds, but the, drafted him, what, four rounds too early, easily, and then the Bengals ended up taking uh, Jesse Bates around later. Jeez, can we have that again? I like that. But actually, two years ago when they took uh, T.J. Watt, someone asked me, well, if they don't take John Ross, who is left on the board, who would you have taken? And for me, it was T.J. Watt. His, his analytics were, were insane off the charts also, and I think he's been a solid player for them. He's been okay, but he's also like one of the most overrated players on the Steelers. Who, if he was on another team, well, I don't know. He had the sacks, and that's what people look like look at, yeah. right? But he 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 doesn't have the rest of it to go with the sacks quite yet. And the film guys are aware of that too, because when you watch it, he's not winning because he's got dominant moves. Honestly, he could use a few moves to really round his game out. Uh, but he wins because he's an athlete and plays with a high motor, as cliche as it sounds. Next question we got is from Andrew at Dockers77. He asks, would you accept two years of awful tanking football if it guaranteed Trevor Lawrence in 2021? And a few other people asked, is is this the time to get a QB or, or are we targeting it next year? If you mm. could if you could have one guy asked, and I'm sorry I didn't I didn't write your name down. If you could have any QB out of this year's draft or you had to pick whatever QB was there at eleven in next year's draft, which would you do? Uh, so it's kind of like a this year, next year, two years down the road question. This is a really hard question for me because if the Bengals suck for two years, that makes this podcast like a real chore for the next two years. And even toward the end of last year, I only watched, you know, the first half of Bengals games, especially after Andy Dalton was hurt. There wasn't really much for me to to see like I would check out a couple of the young guys that were playing but then they were playing like Adolphus Washington at defensive tackle and it's just not very interesting in most of the positions and some of the rookies were also kind of hitting that rookie wall and falling off toward the end of the year so I don't want to watch bad football but also I really want Trevor Lawrence I don't know and you're not going to get him by trading up too people have said that is well we'll keep Andy Dalton for two years and then trade up for Lawrence well whoever has that first pick is not giving it up I think even next year, if it's Tua or, or Herbert in the first round or first three picks, first two picks, those teams aren't giving those picks up no. because they probably need a quarterback at that spot. So you you need to suck for luck. Remember that? Remember 2012? Yeah, I sure do. And you need to do it in, in order to get that guy. And it takes a lot of guts, I think, from a team to really commit towards it. It seems the Dolphins are doing that this year. At least every writer that, that talks about them says they're very open to the idea of tanking. Uh, so that's something to monitor and watch. I, I find it fascinating, to be honest with you. I used to do similar things when playing Madden. I would get the worst team I could possibly make and try and rebuild them completely, You know, starting with the first pick. And I always had the most fun in doing that. So to me, it sounds fun, but it would be a grind for the next two years. And it's no guarantee. You win one more game on accident, and you end up with the second pick, and you don't get Trevor Lawrence, That's it's a waste. I mean, something to be said about how special Trevor Lawrence is that we're both actually legitimately considering this. And obviously a lot can change in two years. It's kind of hard to also commit to sucking for two years when you don't know if Trevor Lawrence is going to, you know, suffer some terrible injury. God forbid, right? Right. But so much can happen in football. It's it's really hard to know how that's all going to play out. Next year, though, like if if you were going to say, if I had to tank for one year to get one of those top guys next year, 
I'd be pretty easy to convince for one of one of those because there's a few options there that are really exciting. Yeah, and I that's the part too is you have to debate because they've picked now the last three years nine, twelve, and eleven before trading back last year. Uh, can they get higher than that? Is this team does it have too much talent to really pick top five and get in position to take that? That's why we call it quarterback purgatory, right? Because you just have enough talent at that position so that you're never picking too high, but you're never making a deep run in the playoffs. And it makes it very hard to find an upgrade at that spot. As we all know, one of the first question we had was how many, basically how many quarterbacks would you take over Andy Dalton over the last six years? And there, there's a, there's a number of good players uh, that you would take, but there's a number of bad quarterback picks that you wouldn't take. And, that's the hard part about it is can this team get into that spot without actively trying to get into a top five pick situation? And really you want to be top three, top two, number one, if you possibly can be, uh, if you can't, if you can't commit to it, you're probably going to end up winning too many games to really get a quarterback again. And you end up in the same scenario. So I don't want the, the roster to burn and crash because, they kept trying to, to win as many games as they could until Dalton's contract runs out. And at the same time, I don't want to crash it and burn it down prematurely and waste Joe Mixon and Tyler Boyd's prime years and other good young players. Yeah, I mean, and it's sad because at this point we're already kind of looking at Carlos Dunlap, Geno Atkins, A.J. Green as sunk costs at that point. Like, they're not going to be part of that core in that world. Right. And that's hard because they're, they're, fan, they're fan favorites. They're some of my favorite players. They're very good players. They deserved... You know, they did, they had some chances to go, but, you know, they deserved probably better outcomes than they got in some cases. So that's when it becomes sentimentally hard and just as a football fan, you know, hard to move past those guys. But if that's something you want to do and you want to tank, this is where I think you need to consider. And we've talked about trading AJ Green, but I think you need to consider using your assets and finding finding capital finding returns because if you're not trying to win and this is something that i don't think they'll ask a rookie head coach to do it doesn't seem like the bengals way but maybe i don't know maybe this is the next gen analytics they're talking about they may not be able to avoid it either if this coaching staff the way it's at least on paper isn't up to par and you know, they go out there and they're bad in 2019. You just may end up in that situation without even trying to do it. And it's possible. That is a scenario that can happen. It is still not off the table that this team is one of the worst teams in the league next year, as they've been the last three years. So it's not crazy. They've been just above those guys, but we shouldn't, you know, look down on those teams too poorly. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's not out of the realm of possibility that without even trying to tank, they end up with a premium pick next year. Let's go hire Sashi Brown then. Hey, and then he'd be he'd trade back this year. He'd accumulate as many picks as possible. He'd trade all these veterans for picks. It's yeah. not a bad idea. If you want Trevor Lawrence, you're hiring Sashi Brown today, and Hugh Jackson. <laughs> right? I mean, if you want to, yeah, yep, one in thirty-one or whatever. You that's that's a good way to, to end up with the first overall pick. Yeah, I like it. Last question: Bram at Bram Jungnitz on Twitter asks. Who is your favorite Mario Kart character, Joe? I say Yoshi because uh, that's who I always played with growing up. But, you know, I've played with him more and more now. I don't have a Switch, and I didn't have a Wii or Wii U at the you know the last couple incarnations of Nintendo. But we still have the Nintendo 64 that we play often. And, you know, we'll have a, kind of like a family game night, and we'll come upstairs into the, to the game room, and we'll play. And I pick Yoshi now because my son wants Mario, and I'm not going to. 
argue with it because, you know, he gets his choice. But I like Yoshi because he doesn't talk or really he makes those weird noises. But, you know, I find the, the banter between the players distracting at times. So give me Yoshi. I don't need to say anything. I'm just going to win. Let the tape do the talking for Joe. Uh, for me, uh, I'm similar. I'm a Nintendo 64 guy when it comes to Mario Kart. And I have some friends up here where I live in Canada that are very, very good at Mario Kart 64. A couple of guys went over to Vancouver for a Mario Kart 64 tournament at a bar uh, late last year. And one of my buddies got first and my other buddy got third. Um, so I don't play very often because they usually wipe the floor with me. But when I do, I try to get on one of the three, Peach, uh, Peach, uh, Yoshi, or Toad, because those are the fast ones. And you need to be fast if you're going to hang with those guys. So out of those three, uh, I, I default to Yoshi too, because he's a cool dinosaur. And, you know, when you're a kid and you're playing, you don't want to be the girl. And, you know, Toad is is tiny and it feels like gets squished a little bit easier, gets forced to spin out a little bit easier. So um, for the sake of being different, I'll say now now I would pick Peach. She's essentially the same driver as Yoshi. Um, and and Joe already picked Yoshi, so I have to pick somebody else. You know, we were playing uh, Mario Party, I want to say two or three. I can't remember, but... Man, we uh, that game is very random. It, it, I can win all the because obviously I'm going to beat my kids in in these mini games. But uh, this just happened. This is the last time we played. We I, I beat them in all those. So, but I set it in the stars in the settings so that whoever wins the most mini games, you get a star. Whoever has the most coins, you get a star. Whoever has the most stars, you get a star. Whoever rolled the dice for the most you know moves gets mm-hmm. a star also. So as we're we're leaving the match and they're giving out the bonus stars, I think I had. Uh, three stars. My son had two. My daughter had had one. Right, and uh, it turns out she had the most coins, and she's she's only five. She had the most coins. She rolled the most the die the most times. So anyway, she ends up winning it all right at the end, and he loses his mind because he thought he was gonna <laughs> win. I mean, he was crying. He wanted to fight. And I'm, I looked up. It's nine o'clock, so it's way past his bedtime. And I'm like, dude, you gotta relax. It's not that serious. But thinking about that now, man, Nintendo 64 Mario games are on point. Yeah. There are some really fun games for the Nintendo 64. Anyway, we're out of football questions. Uh, well, we're not out of them, but we're out of time. We're, we're already way deep into this podcast. So thank you all so much for the questions. I think I had like nearly 40 responses when I asked you guys for questions this week. So please keep them coming. We'll be back next week with another mailbag as we get into the combine starting next weekend. We're already there. And we also have now some late-breaking news that Lou Anarumo is the defensive coordinator. And again, that news broke after we recorded the podcast. So this is a last-minute edit. We will talk about that more on Monday. So we'll talk to you then. For Joe, I'm Jake. Thanks for joining the Lockdown Bengals podcast. And we will talk to you next week.